Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, a very warm welcome. And if you are a regular listener, then thank you. I am so aware of how many amazing podcasts are out there and how time poor we all are. So that you choose to listen to the Motherkind podcast makes me very happy and I am endlessly grateful. So thank you. My mission with this podcast is to inspire you to reconnect back to yourself, whatever that might look like for you. Perhaps it's reconnecting with your health and self-care. Maybe it's looking at your career and your relationships. Or maybe how you talk to yourself. And finally, looking at being kinder to yourself. So I talk to therapists, doctors, naturopaths, coaches, career experts, and everything in between to help you become your happiest, healthiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. This week is with Lou Kirby. Lou is the founder of Woman Ready which is a platform written by women for women to help you believe in yourself a little bit more. What a good intention. So Lou and I had a great chat on Skype a couple of weeks ago. We chatted about her journey from her corporate career to motherhood to losing herself through motherhood and finding herself again. So we talked quite a bit about how to find that sense of self again after motherhood, which ultimately led Lou to setting up Woman Ready. We talk about her relationship with herself, what she discovered about her inner and self-talk and how she started to change that. We're always quite quick to jump in and judge ourselves and give ourselves a hard time. And I think we need to try and stop doing that. And I think we've got to be a lot kinder to ourselves. And her confidence and how she got that back. I'm much more aware now of what's going on in my head and I'm much more inclined to say, no, stop, I'm not thinking that. I'm changing my thought pattern, so like reframing things. She also shares at the end some really great tips, some really quick takeaways that you can start to put into your life straight away on how to get that sense of self back again. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. And as always, as I say every week, please do pop onto iTunes, leave a review and also share this episode with any of your friends. If you've noticed some of your friends have struggled to find their sense of self or feeling lost after motherhood, then share it with them. You can just grab the link from iTunes or my website or my Instagram and pop it in a message to them. I say this um, often, but I feel like the guests we have on the podcast are so brilliant that their wisdom deserves to be shared far and wide. So please do help me do that. And here is the episode. I hope you enjoy it. So Lou, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. I'm so happy and excited to be chatting to you this morning. Thank you, Zoe. And we were just saying, this is the first one that I've recorded in the new year. We're recording yeah. this on the 3rd of Jan. So I do feel a little bit 
rusty. I have managed to get out of my pyjamas this morning, <laughs> um, which is an achievement given the last couple of weeks over Christmas. I know. I think we're saying we're all quite relaxed, aren't we? Which is really nice. But sort of forgetting what we're doing. Exactly. Did you have a nice Christmas? Yep. So I've been off work nearly three weeks, actually. And we've actually been sleeping, which has just been amazing because my kids are at the age now where we actually can get sleep in until nine o'clock. Oh, how old are they? So Maya is, she was eight in December. And Matty, my son, he is officially a teenager in about a month, which I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that. I'm really interested to hear about you and your journey through motherhood yeah. and work. And you've just started a new project called Woman Ready. So we're really keen to hear yeah. all about that as well. So tell us a bit then about your coming to become a mum. So you've been a mum nearly 13 years. I have, yes. What has your experience of motherhood been like? And was it what you expected? No, not what I expected at all. I'm actually a triplet, which is quite funny. You're a triplet? I'm a triplet, yeah. Wow. So my mum obviously had three at the same time. And I never, ever appreciated anything that she did for me, I don't think, as you do. And then when I had kids of myself, I thought, oh, my gosh, I so understand what she was going through at the time. How old was your mum when she had natural triplets? She was, I think, quite old at the time. So I think she was early 30s, 35, something like that. Wow. What was your experience of being one of three? Well, everybody asks if we're psychic which we're not everybody also asks if we look the same which we don't so there's me and my sister and my brother and there's sort of five minutes between us and I didn't actually get on with my sister till I was about 20 and I just have visions of always wearing the same clothes as my sister which is really one of those odd childhood memories interesting interesting and how do you think being one of three do you think it's formed part of your personality What's been your emotional response to being, I guess, yeah, a triplet? Yeah, it's a funny one. We're all quite close, but really different. So my sister lives in Harrogate near me and my brother's in York. But we've all got really quite different personalities. And unfortunately, we've lost our parents. So we're, I think we're quite a close-knit unit now, but very different, yeah. Wow, and that's I was, fascinating. I was actually really worried when... My husband and I decided to have children that I was going to have quads because my grandma had twins, mum had triplets, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm on for four. <laughs> so I was petrified and actually remember paying to go for a scan early just to check that there was only one baby in there. And I'm like, are you sure it's not hiding behind anything? <laughs> <laughs> so that was one of your expectations, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) a bit of a scary one as well. Yeah, gosh, interesting. So what did you think motherhood was going to be like then? I think I was a bit arrogant about it when I first was thinking about it. I thought, this can't be this hard. I don't know what everybody's going on about. And I had all these expectations around, you know, getting pregnant really easily, that the pregnancy would be easy as well, and I just blossom which I didn't I was actually really sick and again I thought the birth I would just deal with it and get on with it and I had a 48 hour labour and then 
I expected my body to just jump back into shape. And I remember vividly having the maxi and looking down at my tummy and thinking, oh, my God, I've still got a baby in there. I was just expecting this flat tummy back within about an hour. So uh, completely wrong expectations. And I think I just expected that, you know, as you do, the baby would just fall in with what I wanted to do. And of course, it never does. Yeah, of course. Of course it doesn't. <laughs> so and how I think as well you expect it to be easy, don't you? You just expect you to be able to know what to do and that you're going to juggle everything. And I found it really hard. And even 13 years in, I still find it really hard. What do you find the hardest? I think juggling everything has been really hard. You think you've got something sorted. You have a problem with the kids. I'm like sleeping, for example, and then you get that sorted and then something else happens. And it's like there's an ongoing challenge, whatever stage you're at with motherhood. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's what I see with lots of the work that I do is that I always say this is that a lot of the qualities that may have helped us pre-motherhood, like control and maybe perfectionism yes. and help us maybe be successful in the workplace are a massive hindrance when we become yes. mothers. Yeah. If you're using control to feel okay in the world, the moment you apply that to children, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people come to me to work with me is because they realise they need a totally different way of approaching life, but have yeah. no idea what letting go or going with the flow yes. or doing yes. things that 70% might look like. Was that you? Were you quite a perfectionist, liked things the way you liked them, quite controlling? Would you describe I think that? So. Yeah, definitely. So I had quite a big corporate job before kids. I worked for Microsoft for 12 years and I travelled all over the world, which was one of the best things about the job. And I, was, I did a lot of project work, so, you know, everything was like you had a list, you ticked it off. Yeah. And that's how you got on with things. And then I think you expect the baby to do that. You expect, right, I'm going to have it sleeping after six weeks, you know, it's going to feed at this time, I'll be getting ready here, be, I'll be on time for this. I think they have a sense, don't they, that, mum, that's not going to happen. It all sort of goes out of the window and all that stuff, as you say, that you used to thrive on, all the control and knowing what you're doing, it just all goes out of the window. Mm. So did you go back to work? Tell us a bit about that. How did yeah, so you integrate your job with becoming a mum? So I went back to work, I took six months off on mat leave so I was living in London before I had Maxi and then when I was I think I was seven months pregnant and we actually moved up north up to Harrogate and Microsoft were great in that I went to them and said I'd like to do compressed hours and work from home most of the time so I did I think it was four or five days over three days something like that I went back to work and I set everything up wrongly I think even though I was doing sort of part-time working, on the days off, I still did my email. Yeah, and I common. did it really wrongly. And I, if I did it again, I would not have done that. I would have sort of, as my husband said, you need to set your stall out. <laughs> I'd say I am part-time and be proud of the fact that you're part-time. Can I ask you, you about that? Because that's really common. Mm. And a lot of people listening will be in that situation where they'll be working compressed hours, but actually yeah. working every day. Looking back then with your, I guess, wiser self, yes. what was driving you to do that? And what would you do now to put those boundaries in place? I think there was a culture at Microsoft at work, which was you had to work all the hours. And right. that's how you got ahead. And that's what people expected of you. 
and you go into work with a baby thinking that nothing's changed, whereas everything's changed. And for me, having a child is a full-time job. And then you try and build that into your other full-time job and you can't physically work it. And I think I just set the expectations on myself that, you know, I had to keep going at the pace I was going at before because I had to show that I was still able to do my job successfully. And the only way to do that was to work really long hours. And of course, that didn't fit in at all with having a newborn. And I remember just being extremely stressed and I found the whole thing just immensely difficult, really. How did that manifest? So you talk about stress. What else did that look like for you, that period? How did you feel about yourself? What was your health like? So I was extremely stressed. I'd lost my mum, I may have mentioned. I lost my mum when I was seven months pregnant as well. She died in an accident. So the first year I had to deal with, you know, having a newborn, bereavement. I think I had probably some postnatal depression, going back to work. And I think I was a mess. I remember walking around Harrogate where I live, I think Max must have been about four months, five months old, pushing the pram and crying my eyes out in the middle of town and just wondering what the heck I was doing and who I was. It was just a horrible time, but an amazing time at the same time. Yeah. Did you get any help? I'm sure I did, but I felt as though I didn't because I didn't have my mum around and we moved up here to be with my mum and she was going to help me. And, you know, I just had, again, the expectations that my mum would be there to help me because you don't really know what you're doing, do you, with a newborn, even though probably going into it you think you'll know what to do. And she was going to be my backup. She was going to look after the baby when I went back to work. So I had none of that. And my sister was here, but I don't think unless you've had your own child, you know how to help, do you? No, exactly. And did you get any emotional support? So you've got a newborn and you've just had a massive bereavement. Did you go to therapy or coaching? or? No, I didn't at the time. I went counselling a few years later, but not at the time, no. I just remember being in a bit of a mess and just having to get on with it because there's nothing else you can do, is there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always say, you know, asking for help from professionals is really important but I think I think your story is really common that when you're in it and I've had experiences like that when you're in it it's really hard to do that it's really hard to do that because you're so just getting through the hours getting through the day so how did you get out of that place then was it time or you mentioned you saw a counsellor or did you change jobs tell us a bit about that transition I think time was important and I think probably a year in or so, things got easier. I find it really difficult to remember back then. I think I've sort of blocked some of the stuff out. But I did change jobs in the end. I found that, you know, working in a corporate environment that was very results-oriented and, you know, got to get in there and work all the hours didn't work for me. And I was travelling to London probably once a month for a week. And again, that was a challenge. So, and I think as well, me and my husband had to figure it out as well between us as to who did what because I found that I went back to work and I was still doing all the other stuff you know the housework the meals the washing and all that kind of stuff and looking after the baby and sorting the childcare out and working and it was just this immense pressure on me that didn't work at all so I ended up leaving Microsoft and finding something locally and that obviously made a big difference 
Yeah, it made a big difference because I was here more. But I think at that time, because I actually had to find something that was, I think, four days a week. So even though I was local, I was doing, I think, ended up doing about the same number of hours. So I think the first probably five or six years of motherhood was quite stressful. Sounds like it. So if there are mums listening, which, you know, there will be, who are you know, got those younger children in that situation, what would you say to that younger self and in turn to them? What lessons have you learned looking back? You've got to not take on everything. I think I wanted everything to be perfect. So on top of everything I was doing, you know, I wanted the house to be tidy. I wanted to provide nutritionist meals for my family. I wanted to look nice, all that kind of stuff. And I think you have to give yourself a break. And I think you have to realise that you can't take on everything. And I think you also have to give yourself some time as well. Make time for yourself. So whether that's even just going out for an hour with a friend for a coffee or going for a run around the park, I think you have to try and find that time for yourself. And I think you've got to put yourself a bit higher up your priority list because as mums we tend to put ourselves really low down the priority list. And even, as I say, 13 years in, I'm still doing all that. I interviewed someone for the blog who was a maternity coach, and she said we sleepwalk into the primary care role, and we sort of do do that. But I think if I was doing it again, I would sit down with my husband and actually say to him, right, what are you going to do and what am I going to do? And you don't ever think about doing that kind of thing because it seems a bit silly at the time. But before having kids, I would have probably sat down with him and said, right, I'm going to be doing this. Now, I will do the meals, but your job is to do this. And try not take on everything, because you just sort of set yourself up for failure. Yeah, I totally agree. So have you done that now? It's taken a few years and a few arguments, but I think we've got more of a balance than we ever have before. And I think, though, sometimes we do slip back into those old roles, and that's when we have another discussion. Well, I seem to be doing more of this and you're not, and then we settle it quite easily these days. Mm. So you think the solution to that, as you say, I love that phrase, sleepwalking into the primary care. I think that is a truism. You think it's about communication. So sitting down with your partner and saying, right, let's look at everything that's got to be done. And I guess every single couple is different in the mix of work and non-work and money and, you know, all of that. But but I like that advice that you're giving, which is to sit down and discuss it instead of sleepwalking into these roles. And then, of course, becoming resentful. Did you become resentful of your husband during that time I think I did if I'm honest yeah yeah and I'm sure you know he I don't want to put him under the bus as he would say because he's a you know he's a great dad and he's got a lot more patience than I have and I'm sure he would have you know other ways of doing things as well as I say I think I'm less patient than he is and I'm a bit more ratty with the kids than he is but then I spend more time with them I think yeah yeah of course (laughs) yeah (laughs) The other thing I think is really important is to try and control what's going on in your head, which is very difficult when you're in the midst of everything new and you've probably got a bit of postnatal depression and everything else going on. I think we give ourselves such a hard time in our heads. You know, I call it the inner bitch voice. You know, she's horrible or can be horrible unless you can get control of it. Mm, What did yours Um, used to say to you? You know, just the stuff that I say to myself now, you know, I might go to bed on a night and say, God, I've been a really crappy mum today. Going to try harder. Or, you know, I should have done that better or this better. You know, and we're always 
quite quick to jump in and judge ourselves and give ourselves a hard time. And I think we need to try and stop doing that. And I think we've got to be a lot kinder to ourselves. And how have you done that? Because I think everyone would agree. Certainly everyone I've ever worked with has had a loud inner critic. And I think everyone I've ever worked with has wanted to dial that down. But it's not simple at all. It's It's complex, the relationship we have with ourselves it's multi-layered it's often set up in childhood so can you talk a bit about the insights that you've had around dealing with your relationship with yourself and how you are transforming that for me it's a daily battle though I don't really want to use the word battle anymore but it's something that I try and do every day and when I'm busy I slip out of things and I get into the wrong habits again for example over Christmas over the Christmas period when I've had two weeks off, every single day I do some sort of mind things. For example, I've been writing down everything that's gone well and everything that I'm doing that's going well. So I'm building up my self-esteem by what I've done. So, for example, you know, I'm starting to do some events in Leeds and I've gone out and figured it all out myself. So I'm looking at all the positive things that I've done that I've helped myself with yeah, And it be something like, you know, I've helped my mother-in-law or I've helped my sister, but building up my self-esteem through things that I've done myself rather than looking for external validation. So that makes sense. Yeah. So I've been doing that and I'm much more aware now of what's going on in my head and I'm much more inclined to say, no, stop. I'm not thinking that. I'm changing my thought pattern. So like reframing things. How did you get that awareness? I've read quite a few books on it. I read quite a lot about it and I've just been reading a really good book called Thrive by I think it's a guy called Rob Kelly and some of the stuff he had in his book just made utter sense that you know we're in control of what we think and it's obviously you say it's a bit more complex than that but that's the truth and I think you can do things to actually change your mindset and make yourself more positive But it's something that takes time and takes practice. Yeah, you know, I have a slightly more nuanced view on this, is that often these neural pathways are so ingrained, as I say, often set up between the ages of zero and five. Yeah. So I always say to my clients and to myself, I'm not responsible for my first thought. Right. My first thought is likely to be, so something will happen like you know my computer will crash my first thought is likely to be negative oh my god I can't believe this has happened but then I get to choose my second thought and I think that for me has been where most of my growth has come is that realizing that actually that rewiring happens slowly but that first thought is likely to be negative I know that about myself now but then I get to choose my second thought and that's where the awareness comes in and then I get to choose my first action For me, that has been super helpful because when I thought that I could change my thinking really easily, I used to get super frustrated because I found I couldn't. I couldn't. And I think maybe that's because, you know, certain things, you know, that happened to me growing up and it's just been super hard for me. But giving myself that get out that my first thought is likely to be unhelpful, but I get to choose that next thought and my first action, Mm -hmm. do I go and get a cup of tea or do I throw the computer out the window you know that's what I mean I get to choose that action so what other books have you read because I know a lot of people listening are really interested in mindset and self-development yeah I'm trying to think now you put me on the spot here sorry Uh, (laughs) I've read things like the secret that kind of thing but I'm not sure how I feel about that 
Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure about the secret, but it's often a great gateway book, I say, to thinking about the power that we hold within ourselves and moving from victim, you know, life is happening to me to a more empowered place. It's a great, easy book to start to access that kind of thinking, but I agree. I'm not sure. It doesn't feel very modern now. The secret feels a bit old school now to me. And I think with that, it's more you're putting out an energy into the universe and it will just attract stuff. But I think you can have the right energy, but you've actually got to go and work for it as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It won't just land on your lap. I always say that. You can't just make a really pretty vision board and then sit back and wait. It's about you have the vision board and then you start planning the actions. But of course you need to know where you're going to plan the actions. Yeah. I agree. I do agree. So are you quite into that, into manifesting and energy I believe that there's an energy, for example, you know, as you say, when sometimes you wake up, your laptop's not working, you get in a bit of a bad mood, then you stub your toe, and then the washing machine breaks down. Something happens, there is definitely an energy going on, I believe. And I think, you know, you've had those days where everything goes right and is amazing. I think there is an energy, but I do think, for me anyway, I've found that I actually have to work hard to get stuff which probably doesn't happen when you're manifesting correctly in the way that the secret says you should do something. I definitely think there's definitely hard work out there to be done and, Mm. you know, positivity helps as well. It does, it does. So tell us about, you know, we're recording this on the 3rd of Jan. So have you got any, I'm not going to use the word resolutions because I don't like it. Um, Have you got any intentions for 2019? What do you want to bring into the world this year? Yesterday, I took my daughter to tennis and I sat down and I wrote some goals for 2019. And there's certain goals I've set up around that. One of my sort of mantras, I suppose, is to be visible because I don't think I'm very good at that kind of stuff. And I get quite shy and, you know, it takes me forever to do a story on Instagram, for example, videoing myself because I just get really self-conscious. But I want to become more visible and try and get to do some events and some panel discussions and sort of be a bit braver. I've got some stuff around coaching, so I'm partway through training to be a coach and I want to qualify this year. I've got some stuff around Insta that I want to do. But then I've also put some sort of goals, if you want to call them that, around self-care because I've found that when I look after myself, everything else slips much more easily into place. I do a couple of exercise classes a week that I really want to do, and I want to continue the work I'm doing on my mind as well. And then also just be mindful of the time I have with the kids and my husband and just make sure that's sort of more quality time rather than trying to multitask around them. (laughs) That will resonate with a lot of people, I think. Trying to actually focus on them and give them the time. Like yesterday, me and my daughter were sitting in bed and we did some reading together. Whereas usually when I'm working, I'm, you know, trying to cook tea, trying to talk to her, trying to do some other things, and it's not really very fair on them, really. And what do you want to let go of in 2019? I think I overthink, and I think I want to try and not do that so much. I do sort of want to go a bit with the flow a bit and be a bit more relaxed and try to not push so hard for things. Because, you know, we're talking about visualising and manifesting. I think sometimes when you push too hard, things just don't happen and maybe they're not meant to happen. So maybe just, you know, relax a little and go with the flow a bit more. 
And from a, I guess, a personal development perspective, are there any qualities in yourself that you want to focus on and grow this year? I think my mantra about being more visible, it's just getting out of my comfort zone a bit more and saying yes to things a bit more. I think I wrote a post on Insta the other day about this. I've turned down things last year because I was a bit nervous of doing them. And this goes against the ethos of what I'm doing on the blog. So I want to be a bit braver. I want to get out of my comfort zone and I want to start saying yes to some of the opportunities that come up. Because I know I can do them. It's just that little voice in my head saying, ooh, do you think you can really do that? Yeah, well, I always say that if you're on a path of expansion and challenging yourself, that voice will be ever present. It will never go away in my experience. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's just learning to befriend it and do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think this idea that we suddenly become fearless and confident to, to me is a fallacy. It's not yeah. my experience or my client's experience. I think it's just yeah. acting in the face of those fears that's what I found has helped me the most and something that I want to do more of this year as well. I'm, I'm exactly yeah. the same. So talk to us then about the blog and Woman Ready yeah. and what your mission and passion is and where that yeah. mission and passion came from. So I founded Woman Ready last year and it's a platform for women helping us with sort of confidence and self-care and well-being. And I set it up after talking to quite a lot of different ladies and realising that Many of us were guilty of putting ourselves way down that priority list and thinking that we're not good enough. So we have the blog and the Insta feed, and we've got quite a lot of different women contributing to the blog. And we talk about things such as work, career, mindset, our bodies, ageing, self-care. But one of the big things that's been important to me is to talk about reality as well, because as we know on Insta, there's all this perfection going on and life isn't really like that. So we talk a lot about things such as liking our bodies as they are. So, you know, I've had kids, I've got cellulite, my boobs have shrunk, I've got saggy skin on my tummy, but I still want to like my body because I think it's amazing really what it's actually done. You know, I had two children. And we talk about things like loss of confidence after having kids, that loss of identity that you feel... And it's all that stuff that I think you think no one else is feeling, but actually they are, and getting it out there and talking about it and resonating with other women. Sounds great. So if someone's interested, what do they do? Well, the blog is womanready.com, and then we have the Insta feed, which is womanreadyblog. So, yeah, just go on there. We're doing some events this year, hopefully, setting those up at the moment, and going to be doing my coaching as well. So... I think if I talk about the mission, I put this on Insta the other day, I changed the bio because I've been thinking about how to put it quite succinctly. And it's about inspiring women to love themselves that little bit more because I think we're really bad at it at the moment. I totally agree. And I think that it sounds like a simple mission, but it's actually yeah, not. It's, it's not, not at all. To... I set it up as well because I hit my 40s a few years ago and I just remember... You know, when you have those moments where you sit back and you think, have I done what I wanted to do? Well, no, I don't think I have. And I thought, I've actually really held myself back. There's a lot of stuff going on in society that holds women back. But me, I've done it to myself quite a lot. You know, not going for that promotion or that job, 
not putting my hand up in a meeting because I thought I might sound silly, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think I don't want to get to 80 years old. I think, God, I wish I'd have done that differently. Yeah. If someone's nodding along and they think, I want to stop holding myself back too. I want to stop acting small. What are the first things you would recommend someone does? I think, again, it's a mindset thing. And I think if you have a thought like that, what I tend to now say to myself is, you know what, I am capable, I am experienced and I can do it. And I know that sounds complete and utter cheese, but I think you've got to believe that. And, you know, we were talking about going back to work. I remember when I went back to work feeling this utter loss of identity and loss of confidence, and it was horrible. And looking back, I think, you know what, I have a lot to give. You know, I've got a lot of experience and employees should be wanting for me to work with them and I think we've just got to stop giving ourselves a hard time about it and try and look at all the good things that we've done and all the experience that we've had. Yeah I agree and something that when I'm coaching with my clients I always look at those beliefs which again like you can often track back and understand where they've come from and and hold some compassion for those but then I think the growth comes when we choose to transcend those shackles that we've put around us of what we can and can't do and you're so right often you know set upon us by society and teachers and parents and and all sorts and I I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that but I do think it's our responsibility to figure out what it is that we want and then give ourselves enough love to be able to try and go for it yeah and I think sometimes for me I've just got to stop overthinking yeah do it because you spiral don't you out of control sometimes well I always say if you think about something it's it's sort of over and that's why you know the five second rule Mel Robbins that's why that works because if you think about something you think your way out of anything um (laughs) so I think yeah oh so the five second rule is very simple it is you want to do something you know send an email to a book agent for example and you are overthinking it is this the right one is that word right is that a tone right you go no I'm going to send it and you go five four three two one and you just press send and you just take the action knowing that life rewards action takers I know for me the moment I get into thinking I need to stop and go and meditate or walk around the block or because my thinking will always find a way to keep me small because it's trying to keep me safe and you know in some ways that's biological to keep small and in the crowd and head down so it can feel unnatural sometimes to put your head above the parapet and do brave things and but as you say that's where a lot of the richness and the joy and the expansion comes from yeah so it's never as bad as what you think ever 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 ever. I always say that what's that famous Mark Twain quote many terrible things have happened to me and none in real life or something I'm totally misquoting that but effectively yes exactly nothing is ever as bad as we think it in our heads one of the things, again, with the blog is to realise that we actually are really capable. I mean, if you think about everything that life has thrown at you and you've got through it and done it, haven't you? Exactly, exactly. And most of the time you've done really well when you've done something. I remember a big project at work once and I thought, oh, my God, how the heck am I going to do this? And was panicking and everything. And it turned out to be the best piece of work I've ever done. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's that self-belief, isn't it? Yeah. 
to ask a big question. We talked a bit about mission and passion. If you could see a change out there as a result of your work, what would that change be? What would the world look like if everyone became a woman ready? Yeah, I think it's that everybody, every woman has the right to feel good about herself. And I think just to sort of get out there more and take up space, which feels like a really American thing to say, but to get out there and, you know, to do what you want to do and to not hold yourself back. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important message for people to hear, especially at this time of year, when it's natural to think about the year ahead and what we want to do. So final question, I ask everyone the same question, (laughs) which is if you could give one gift to all the mums in the world, what would it be and why? A magic fairy, maybe. But uh, in all seriousness, I think probably peace of mind that you actually are good enough and that you can do it. Lovely. Lovely. I think that's something that we all need to take into our hearts. And one of my favourite affirmations is I am enough. Yeah. So to everyone listening, maybe that could become your affirmation for the rest of the day. I am enough. Lou, thank you. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. And everyone, go and look at Woman Ready on Instagram, or if you Google it, the website will come straight up. It's a great blog with loads of brilliant resources and inspiration. So I'd encourage you all to go and take a look. Well, all to say is thank you very much. Thank you, Zoe. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends, that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month programme called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.